Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to the broadcast ministry of Return to the Word with Pastor Mark Fontecchio, advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now, here is pastor and author Mark Fontecchio. We have a difficult text in front of us this morning. To be clear, it is not hard because it's difficult to understand, but it's difficult, it's tough, because we live in a day when many people are confused. See, we live in what's being called right now the postmodern age, where truth is not considered to be absolute. Rooted in their pride, people sit back and pick and choose what they consider to be true. And so because of this, some may be angered by the words before us from Scripture. Some may find it offensive. And others, legalists, abuse these words to build themselves up and control other people. But let me tell you how I'm looking at it this morning. I believe in the absolute truth of God's word, and I believe it's my job simply to teach you the word of God as God intended to the best of my ability. Nothing more, nothing less. And I'm teaching this because it's the next text in the book. It's the next passage in the book. The only authority I have as your pastor is from the scriptures. That's the only authority I have. And the hard text in the Bible, we could ignore them if we want. We could do that. Sure, absolutely. But they exist for a reason. They're there for our edification. They're there to challenge us. We are in the book of 1 Timothy because it addresses how we as a church should live, how we are to function, how we are to worship our God. Our text for this morning deals with the role of women in the church. This is Zed Nelson. He's a photographer. In over five years, he visited 17 different countries as he documented the global craze for beauty. Zed came to discover in his observations that beauty is a $160 billion a year global industry. He stated that body improvement has become a new religion. Just turn on the TV and look at the commercials that are on TV. It's true. And then he gives some examples. In Manhattan, women have their toes surgically shortened. I don't know why you would do that, but they do. And then they have them secured with metal pins so they can fit into these three-inch high heels. In China, a procedure that was first developed to lengthen the legs of, of short people, midgets, little people, however you want to say it, has now become popular for people who simply just feel they're too short. They want to be taller. So here's what they do. They sever the shin bones. Doesn't sound good at all. They stretch the bones apart with an implanted metal frame. And they, they stretch up to three inches of new leg bone that can be grown. The operation comes with a lot of risks, you can imagine. That deformation, weakened muscles. And, and this is the type of thing that's going on. Nelson said that throughout the world, everyone wants to look the same. They all want to look like white Americans. He saw skin lightening products in Africa. 
and surgical procedures in Asia to make their eyes look more like people in the West. And I have seen pictures online of some beautiful, beautiful people with darker skin that are deforming their bodies to make themselves look like more what they see in the West. Women in Iran proudly walk through the streets with bandaged noses, bandaged noses, excited to be the new owners of American-style noses. In South America, women have operations that make them look like a Barbie doll, to make them look like the blonde-haired models that appear on the covers of most magazines. Anorexia is on the increase in Japan and in China. Beauty pageants, once banned as spiritual pollution, are now held across the country. And Nelson said he was amazed at how common cosmetic surgery has become all around the globe. Banks offer loans for this type of stuff. You can get a loan so you can go get your body fixed to how you want it to look. American families with annual incomes under 25000 Dollars a year account for 30% of all cosmetic surgeries. It's the never-ending pursuit of youth. It's the primary cause behind this global push to have a perfect body. And Nelson's conclusion was that as a people, we're so afraid of aging. We're so scared of getting older. We've developed a pathological obsession with our bodies. And I would add to it that we have developed a pathological obsession with how we look and what we wear. But God wants us to focus on something else. Isn't that kind of interesting? He wants us to put on the righteous attitude of Jesus Christ. He wants us to worship him, to make him the focus, not how we look and not how we dress. Would you join me this morning in 1 Timothy 2? And we start with verse 8. Paul writes... I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. So what is Paul getting at here in the letter? Well, he's getting back to this idea of instruction of public worship. And verse 8 is about how the men are to pray in congregational worship. I believe that Paul is telling us here in the text that when men are gathered for worship, men are to take the lead. When the body of Christ is to come together, the men are to take the lead in prayer. But this does not mean that women cannot pray in church. 1 Corinthians settles that. 1 Corinthians 11 makes this clear. The last word in verse 8, doubting. I think it would be better if we translated this as disputing. Disputing. That Paul wants men to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and disputing. He's talking about those involved in leading public worship. And all that he's saying is that if Christians can't get along with other Christians in the church, well, then you shouldn't lead worship. If you're fighting with other Christians in the church, hey, it's probably not your role, your job to lead in the worship. Lifting up the holy hands in prayer is just an outpouring of the heart. And this was common then, especially among the Hebrew people. And it comes to us from the Old Testament. It's fine today. Lifting up your hands in church is fine. Even in a Baptist church, you can do it if the focus is right. 
if the focus is right, if the person doing it is not looking for attention. Solomon prayed like this in the Old Testament. David did. Many Old Testament saints prayed like this. And we find paintings on the walls of the catacombs in Rome showing early Christians praying like this to symbolize their openness to God and their desire to offer praise to God. Paul says holy because he wants us to live clean before God and he wants us to pray. The focus of this verse is more on the purity of the person praying and less on how they do it. Meaning he is using hands here metaphorically because our hands symbolize what we do. And so here comes a lesson. When you pray... When you pray, how you do it, with your hands up or on your knees, none of those things make your prayer more or less effective. I preached in the area here, I'm not going to name the church, but I preached at an independent Baptist church. And the men in the church wanted to have me meet with them before the service to pray. And they said, you have to get on your knees and I had just hurt my knee. But to them, it wasn't an effective prayer unless I was on my knees. That's not the idea. Your position does not make your prayer more or less effective. Instead, it's about the inner attitude of the person praying. That's what Paul is getting at. It's the inner attitude of the person praying. But let me ask you this. Have you ever tried praying when you're mad at someone else. I mean, go fight with your spouse once and then try praying. It doesn't work so well. At our house, not that we would ever fight or have any sin ever, why you laugh? If we have a marital moment, we'll call it that way. We'll ask doodles to pray. It's easier. It's a cop-out instead of reconciling and praying. Paul says, leave the anger behind. Leave your differences behind and pray. Then in verse 9, Paul starts to lay out how the women are to conduct themselves in the church services. What was it like for women in Paul's day? This is important. This is where we put it in the historical context of the day. This is what we have to look at when we come to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We have to understand the cultural and historical context of when this was written. When he wrote to Timothy in Ephesus. Women back then, I think most of you know, were seen as second-class citizens. The degree of freedom that a woman enjoyed depended on her wealth and her social status. See, if, if you were women of higher status, you were maybe able to have your own business, or you could live a life independent of a man. But it was definitely a man's world. It was definitely a man's world. And if you were not wealthy or if you did not have status, you received a basic education if you received one at all. And you were subject to the authority of man, your father before marriage or your husband after marriage. And as a woman, you were restricted to roles of little or no authority. Women could not vote. They could not hold office. They had no role in public life, not able to testify in court. And so along comes Jesus in the New Testament, setting people free from the rules of men. Jesus came along treating women with absolute respect, allowing them to follow him. And the first person to see the resurrected Christ was a woman was a woman. Remember that Timothy was in Ephesus. Paul was writing this 
to the church at Ephesus with Timothy there. This was a big city, a very big city. And people were coming from all sorts of different backgrounds coming to know Christ. And how they were dressing was an issue that needed to be dealt with. But keep in mind, and here's a principle that we need to understand as we walk through this text, that clothing is only the manifestation of the problem of a lack of modesty. It's only the manifestation. Where's the main problem? Sin is within. The main problem is the human heart. Adorn themselves in modest apparel. It means to put themselves in order in an honorable way. It's about the entire concept of how a woman presents herself. See, the text is not telling us that a woman has to wear dull clothing, that you have to dress like the Amish. It can be nice, and it can absolutely be beautiful. And the text is not telling us that you cannot fix up your hair. Peter also wrote about this over in 1 Peter chapter 3, where he said this. He said, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart. Notice that. Be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. See, the idea being presented in Scripture is dress and present yourself in a way that glorifies God. And notice this idea from Peter. Let it be of the heart. See, the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Man, that's awesome. There's something in Scripture that it, it says it's precious in the sight of God. It's just another area of life where we have to ask ourselves, do we reflect the glory of God in how we present ourselves? And it's so much more than just about clothes. If you think this passage is just about clothes, you're missing the intent here. You're missing the big idea. It's about the heart. Here's what was going on in Ephesus. Then, just like now, people get offended. And some of the offense in the church was coming from how the women were dressing. Men were being Offended because this description in verse 9 fits two types of women back then. This would be how a wealthy woman would dress. And this was also, by the way, no offense, ladies, but how a prostitute would dress. The prostitute was dressed in a way to entice men. And Paul said, this is a problem. This is a big problem in the church. This is a problem because it distracts men. And women, if you don't think it distracts men, you don't know how men think. The women in the church would typically have clothing that was between 500 to 700 denarii. 500 to 700 denarii. Keep in mind that a denarius was said to be worth one day of work for the common worker. 500 to 7 denarii with maybe two to three dresses in an entire lifetime. And in your entire life, that's all you'd own. But some of the socially elite, the wealthy, they had dresses that were made that were between 7,000 and 9,000 denarii, much more. And this type of woman may own 10 dresses at the same exact time. And if she comes wearing a dress like that, it stirs up envy. There's tons of envy amongst the ladies and shame for the poor woman. 
So the idea here in the text is that you want to come to church dressed respectably before God, but not to draw attention to yourself. You're not here to draw attention to yourself. You're not the focus of the church. I'm not the focus of the church. Jesus Christ is our focus. So don't come looking to get people to notice you and don't come to this church looking to get people impressed by you. Come with the mindset that we want people to be in love with God. We want people to be in love with his grace, not us. The Bible tells us, Christians, that it's your responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ to help eliminate some of the distractions here so we can come together as the body of Christ and worship God and study his word. Anything that can take the corporate body off track from the intent of the gathering of the body of Christ, because we're here to worship. That's what we're here for. We're here to worship, and we're here to study the Word of God and make Him our focus. We want to worship God. And so when you come here, prepare yourself and prepare your family. Men, you have responsibility. Prepare yourself to avoid the distractions that will take the focus off this for others. Silence the cell phones. The only thing cell phones should be used for in the church service is for studying the Bible. That's it. That is it. Use the restroom before the service. Teach your kids to use the restroom before the service. Go to bed early on Saturday night. Go to bed early on Saturday night. There's nothing on worth watching staying up for. And when it comes to clothing, if you arrive at church dressed in such a way that you spent more time and more effort preparing your clothing, your hair, or your makeup than you have on preparing your heart for corporate worship of God, there's a problem. There's a problem. So dress modestly. When churches teach women should only wear skirts, they're missing the point. They're missing the point. Men, you put on some skirts and see how that feels in the winter. Seriously. It's ridiculous. Plenty of skirts are a little too tight. Plenty of skirts are a little too tight. A little too short. I don't need to see it. No guy in the church needs to see it. Dress modestly. And I don't need to see how tight your pants can be. And I don't need to see how low you can get your shirt top. You're coming to look for attention. Your heart is wrong. You're immature. Grow up. Do you know who this woman is? This is Mary Quant. And she is credited as one of the people who designed the miniskirt in 1960. Ladies, you should know why the miniskirt was designed. It was designed, she said, to announce to the world that she was ready to go to bed with any man day or night. See, how women are dressing today is a problem. With the low tops, letting it all hang out, jeans that are way too tight, short skirts are even more revealing than what a prostitute used to wear in this country. But the nature of man has not changed. And when women wear this to church, it becomes a distraction to men. It becomes a distraction to the worship of God. Dress modestly with propriety and moderation, not shamefacedness, as the old King James says. Paul's not looking for women to go around ashamed of how they look 
with veils on their faces or anything like that. Propriety and moderation. Moderation, take control of how you present yourself. Propriety, use good judgment. Reverence and respect for what we're doing here. We're gathered to worship the creator of the universe. Have some respect for what we're doing here. Have some respect for the teaching of the word of God, for what we're doing here. There's a lot of foolishness that goes on in churches, and I'm, I'm for one, tired of it. Don't come to church looking like a slob. That's one extreme. And we shouldn't come on the other extreme looking to put on a show. There's a middle ground that most of our ladies have found. But Paul is talking about the current fashions in the rest of the verse, the braided hair and the, this interweaving their hair with gold and silver and pearls and expensive clothes. That was the fashion back in that day. That's why that's listed. They were coming in with all the fashions, trying to draw attention to themselves, and it took a lot of time to prepare their hair this way. This is the way the prostitutes would dress in Ephesus. They wore their hair in small braids with gold, pearls, or gems every inch or so. It was a dress that was seductive and designed to attract the wealthy and the gentlemen of Ephesus. And I think if Paul was standing here in this church in Pioneer Baptist today, he would say, don't wear the low-cut tops with it all hanging out. Don't wear those short skirts. Don't wear those tight pants. Don't wear anything designed to attract the attention of men for all the wrong reasons. Because at its worst, it's what the prostitutes did. And at its best, it shows that you're, you got a lot of pride and you're self-centered. Looking for attention rather than to honor God. I saw a lot of this when I would preach in Texas. Fancy cars, a lot of jewelry, expensive clothes, very expensive clothes. Some Christians even showed up at these conferences with their own driver and personal attendant. I didn't feel like I fit in. I didn't feel like a brother in Christ. I didn't feel like I, I even belonged in that conversation. It caused division and disruption in the body of Christ. Paul says, put on good deeds. Try that. Put on good deeds. Appropriate for a woman who professes to worship God telling us that the appropriate way to express our faith is through good deeds, not looking to be the center of attention. Because a Christian woman's beauty is found in her godly character and her love for the Lord demonstrated in good works. Women, if you want to be attractive, focus on serving Jesus Christ. If you want to find a godly man, focus on serving Jesus Christ. See, I've told many of you before that the very first night I met Angie, I knew I would marry her. It did, for the record, take me five months to convince her. But I knew the first night. Why? Why did I know that the first night? Because in all the years I've been a Christian, I have still never seen a Christian woman that strong in the faith. That's why. Strong faith, a strong belief in the Bible and a life lived serving Jesus Christ with an understated beauty that is all her own. That's why I married her. That is why I married her, and I love her so much. Ladies, that's what you want to be known for. That's what you want to be known for. That's what attracts the right kind of man. Anybody can wear a revealing outfit. Spend more time on serving Jesus Christ, less on trying to become the center of attention in how you look, which is, by the way, a good lesson for everyone in the church. 
Women should be known for how they live out the Christian life, not on how they look. Paul is telling us that how we come together to worship affects the other parts of the body of Christ. How we prepare ourselves or don't prepare ourselves for worship affects the rest of the church. Some people come in with drama, drama, drama every week and it distracts everybody. Stop it. Prepare your family for Sunday worship. Prepare your hearts. Make it a priority to take away anything that distracts from our time together. And make it our focus that when we come together, we are here to call attention to God, not ourselves. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, this is what God is looking to do in our lives. This is what God is looking to cultivate in all believers. The righteousness of Christ lived out in our lives. This is the kind of beauty that the Lord is looking for. Paul continues with verse 11, where he says, Let a woman learn in all silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now, this reminds me of the old story of three men who were talking over coffee. And two of them were very legalistic. Men who like to yell more than they like to love. And they were talking about the amount of control they had over their wives. They're boasting about how much control they had. The third man just sat there quiet. And after a while, the first two control freaks, they turned to the third man and said, well, what about you? What sort of control do you have over your wife? And the third man says to them, I'll tell you what. Just the other night, my wife came to me on her hands and knees. And the two control freaks were kind of amazed by this. And they said, well, what happened now? What happened after that? They had to know. And the man told them, then she said to me, get out from underneath that bed and fight like a man. We've been there a couple times. Close. (laughs) Close. Marriage can be awesome, can it? It really can. Because you can look back at those times. Have you ever been to a legalistic church that takes these verses completely out of context? Just show of hands. Absolutely. I hate legalism. I can't stand it. It drives me nuts. I hate it. Angie and I visited one church in Green Bay where they were so strict, the woman would come to church and they they would not be able to speak a word once they are inside the building. They would whisper to each other. Just whisper. Why whispers? In the church. But they'd hardly even say hello to the men. Maybe a soft excuse me or oops, I'm sorry if they bumped into you. That's a ridiculous misunderstanding of what the Word of God is teaching. I saw another church in northern Wisconsin where the women were not even expected or allowed to be in the room to listen to the sermon. My wife was actually escorted out of the sanctuary. We didn't last there. Paul says, let a woman learn. It's a command. Women should learn the scriptures just as the men with the proper attitude. Put this in context. This was liberating back in that day. This was freedom. This was liberating because the first century women in Greece were not thought of as able to learn. 
The Greek women led isolated lives at home. The Greek word for silence carries with it the idea of being at peace, being at rest. See, Paul's not calling for women to never talk at church. The most basic word study you could even do shows this is not what he's meant here. He's calling for women to receive and be at rest with the male leadership in the church. Don't be unruly is the teaching here. See, this is about church meetings, and men are tasked with the responsibility of leadership and instruction. Men, let me tell you this. This means responsibility. It means you need to grow up and mature in your faith. It means responsibility for the men. See, it seems that they had women in the church who were attempting to be pastors. Paul said, I don't permit it. I, I don't permit it. It's that clear. He didn't permit it then. He would not permit it today. He wouldn't. Why? Why do we know? Well, because of the created order listed here in the word of God, designed by God in Adam and Eve. That's verses 13 and 14. See, the text is telling us it's a timeless principle from the word of God. It stands today just as it stood back then. Teach refers to the church-sanctioned doctrinal teachers. Paul does not allow a woman to teach and have authority over men because of the created order designed by God. Now, this goes into the role of distinctions. The Bible teaches that in the home and in the church, fathers are to lead their families. Oh, would that be awesome if fathers would lead their families? And in the body of Christ, fathers are to lead. Men are to lead. The church is to submit to Christ. Even the men submit. They submit to Christ. And we have been entrusted with the responsibility of teaching the word of God and leading and leading. So let's be very, very clear here. The text is absolutely not saying in Timothy that women cannot speak in corporate worship services. It's not saying that. Verse 12 explains verse 11 by linking the two concepts that equal silence. Women are supposed to maintain silence as it relates to being a pastor teacher in public worship. And I think some of the women in the church today are believing a lie that significance comes through pastoral leadership. So hear me carefully on what I'm telling you this means. I'm not saying that women are inferior to men at all. It's not saying that. And I'm not saying that women don't have the ability to teach. Absolutely, they can. Or that there's not ways that women can even serve in leadership positions because women have an extremely important work and role in advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Visitation. Angie helps me all the time with that in counseling couples. Women can be involved in the outreach ministry, educational programs, missions projects. They have a responsibility to teach other women in the church that should be taken far beyond the Sunday school classrooms. When Paul says here, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, this is written in the present tense, meaning they're not to have the ongoing continual ministry of teaching. It's about a position and a role, not about who's better. It's not about who's better. Just as God the Son submits to the Father, even though he is equal to the Father. Different roles. Different roles in the church. 
and the role of teaching the congregation the scriptures week after week, especially teaching the men, belongs to men who are called to do this. Now, this does not mean that women can't share a testimony in front of the church. It doesn't mean that. Paul is talking about women taking on authority for themselves, trying to take the role of men. Paul is not saying women have to sit in absolute silence during the service. You don't have to sit and just not even say a word in the service. As we said, we know from 1 Corinthians 11, Paul allowed women to pray in the service. And the two reasons that Paul gives for this instruction is because first, from the time of creation, it was God's intention that the male should lead the female. From the time of creation, God made Adam first. Then God made a suitable companion for him. God made Eve for Adam. He did not make Adam for Eve. Adam and Eve needed each other and they were absolutely equal. But God gave Adam the leadership responsibility over his wife. Eve was not responsible to God for Adam, like Adam was responsible for Eve. And it has been rightly said that Eve was made out of a rib from the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, not made out of his feet to be trampled upon by him. Out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. And the second reason Paul gives is found in verse 14. As part of the judgment on Eve at the fall, God confirmed in Genesis 3.16 this leadership of the male over the female. We read in Genesis, it says this in verse 16, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. See, Paul's point in Timothy is that when Eve took on Adam's role and taught her husband about the fruit of the tree, it caused devastation to God's intended order. And Paul did not want to see the same mistake, the same sin repeated in the church of Jesus Christ. The man must lead the woman in the home and in the church. And I would say that in the garden, it was Adam. It was Adam who should have led his wife. It was Adam who should have taught his wife. He should have protected her, but he failed, just like so many men are failing today. Verse 15 is one of the most difficult verses in the Bible to understand. Let's read it. It says, Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Paul is not saying that a woman will not have difficulties in childbirth if she just has enough faith. Those are offensive words that you hear taught in some circles. It's really offensive. Paul is also not talking about eternal salvation. We've been talking a lot about that on Wednesday nights. When you see the word salvation, don't always just assume you're talking about eternal salvation. Boy, is this a perfect example of that. He's not talking about eternal salvation. Salvation, Wednesday night crew, means deliverance, right? When he says, she'll be saved here. Childbearing is a figure of speech that is to represent the ministry of a woman. Childbearing is about a life of fulfillment in the home. 
So here's all I think Paul was saying, that God gives women a life of fulfillment as mothers in the home, provided they walk with the Lord. Notice what he says, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control, rather than live an unruly life causing problems and trying to take over the roles of men in the church, find the fulfillment that God can give you as a mother in the home. And saved being used here to refer to spiritual health, deliverance, spiritual health, a meaningful life. Saved from the desire to have that role that God did not intend for them to have. See, God has a role for men in both the family and in the church. And God has a role for women in both the family and in the church. But what about a woman unable to have kids? Then you look for other ways to minister. You look at adoption. You help other families take care of kids. Or you look for other ways to serve in the church. Because I think what Paul is telling us is that some people put too much focus on the pulpit ministry and wanting to have that position while they neglect the position that's right in front of them of serving Jesus Christ. Because the children in the home, let me tell you, the children in the home, that's the future of the church. That's the next generation of leaders in this church. There's a story of an older woman that I love so much. She shared where she felt God encouraging her to look for ways where God could use her particular gifts in her situation so that she could actually minister to others. In other words, she didn't want to spend the rest of her days just sitting at home watching Hallmark movies and Fox News. I like a good movie. I absolutely do, especially some of those Westerns. I do. But I'm troubled by people who make this their whole life. They check out at a certain time in life and just start watching movies over and over and over. And this woman didn't want to be like this. She, she knew she had limited options, but she wanted to find a way to fulfill some sort of ministry. And she didn't want to just sit at home with no ministry. So she thought about what she could do. She thought about the gifts that she had. She realized that she had been told by others that she had the gift of hospitality. And she lived alone. She was all by herself. And all she had was a very tiny apartment. But then she started realizing something. That tiny apartment was by a large university. And she had every afternoon free. And she pondered the needs around here. And she started seeing all these college students all by themselves going around this university. And the people of this college were starting to tug on her heartstrings. And to her mind came the students who were so far away from home. So then she got a simple idea, a strange idea. She got a stack of three by five cards. That's how you know she's old. She did it old school. And she wrote on each one of them with the following words. She said, are you homesick? Come to my house at four o'clock for tea. Now that's not that difficult. Anybody could do that. She included a phone number and address. That's kind of risky. And she posted the cards all around campus. I'm sure that would get you in trouble today. And after a slow start, one by one, little by little, homesick students began to trickle in to come to her house for tea. When she died after doing this for 10 years, 80 people from the students that she had ministered to showed up at her funeral. Each of them had been a student at one point or time who found a cup of tea, a sense of home, and most importantly, the gospel of Jesus Christ from the heart of a faithful servant, not looking for the spotlight, but just looking to quietly serve Christ. See, part of the problem that we have as Christians is that we're always looking for what we cannot have. 
We're always looking for what we can't have. There are men who want to teach, even though they're not called to it or they're not qualified. There are women who are not content with the roles given to them by God. First Timothy is not about the superiority of men or women, because any honest man knows this, that the grading curve in school was always messed up by the smart girls in the class. I'm sorry, it's true. It was horrible. What man has not been outdone and outthought by the women in his life? I have two daughters and a wife. Trust me, I live in that world. I know. This text is about church leadership and dying to self, taking on the roles that God has for us. This is about being faithful to God's word. This is about inviting God's word to shape the life of the church. I hope we can get to that point in this church because we're not truly there. I'll just be honest. We're not truly there. Instead of letting the culture dictate what we do here. This is about living out the creation order that comes from the character of God himself, God's goodness. Paul says this in Romans 8. I want you to notice the end of the verse. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We know that part. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Notice, how shall he not with him also freely give us what? All things. See, when we live out our salvation, we can expect to receive everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus. And when we live out his creation order, it should bring joy. It should bring joy. Paul was the one who lived it out. And Paul thought of the men and women who ministered alongside of him as people to be treasured, both men and women. Romans 16, read it sometime. Go through Romans 16. It's filled with the names of both men and women who loved life with Paul, who loved the Lord with Paul, who laughed with Paul, who suffered with Paul all throughout his ministry. This is about the gospel. This is about our mission as a church. And Paul's concern was that the church would pray and work together towards the gospel of Christ going out towards all men. Paul believed that if the church joyfully lived out the creation order in God's household, the gospel would continue to go out in power. So men, I want to challenge you this morning because it starts in our homes. It starts how we live. The strength of this church is going to be found in the strengths of your homes. It starts with the leadership of the men. Men, if we would lead with love, the type of love that Christ expects of us, I don't know a woman in this church here that wouldn't love to follow a man leading in Christ. I don't know of anyone here that wouldn't want to follow that. I believe that we're learning in Scripture the men in this church need to take up the responsibility of leading their families in the faith teaching them the word of God at home. It's not going to hurt you to open the Bible in front of your kids at home. It's a healthy thing. Live with integrity in the home. Be the man that Christ has called you to be, showing what it means to be a committed and humble servant in the church, praying for your family, serving your family, recognizing the gift they are to us from God, honor them, and then be busy trying to live up to what God is asking for us instead of trying to put our wives in their own place. It's just irresponsible to say that thing. Lead in love. Lead in Christ in the faith so together we can raise up families that honor the Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.